0: emotional restraint welcome to another look into the life and message of Elizabeth Elliot, who called us to live to a higher standard every day not satisfied with just throwing a little religion into life as this series continues in the coming weeks we'll hear from family friends and others all influenced by Elizabeth's life and message Today we continue our series with Valerie Elliott Shepard, Elizabeth's daughter, and the series is called Child Training. It's a 10-part series, and today we have Parts 7 and 8, Feeling Sorry for Yourself and Training Emotional Restraint. Also coming up, Elizabeth's younger brother, Jim Howard, talks about uh, the laugh of Elizabeth Elliott. And Amy Van Dyke of the Museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C., talks about the Elizabeth Elliott exhibit and her life as a scrapbook. First, though, turn to Isaiah 30 as you prepare for part seven of child training. Here's Valerie Elliott Shepherd and Elizabeth feeling sorry for yourself.
1: You are loved with an everlasting love. That's what the Bible says and underneath are the everlasting arms. This is your friend, Elizabeth Elliot, talking today with my daughter, Valerie Shepherd, on the subject of self-pity. I'm so glad, Val, that you've decided to talk about this. I've talked about it quite a few times, I guess, myself. But you and I both know that it is a dreadful thing to sit down in a little pile of self-pity and feel sorry for ourselves. Mm-hmm.
2: I have some verses that have comforted me over and over again, and I, I think I'm learning to live by them. This truth that the Lord wants me to come to Him, no matter how I feel. And it's in Isaiah chapter 30, verses 15, 17, 18. For thus the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, has said, In repentance and rest you shall be saved in quietness and trust is your strength but you were not willing and you said no for we will flee on horses therefore you shall flee we will ride on swift horses therefore those who pursue you shall be swift and i think that can refer to our trying to go it on our own doing without his strength but one thousand shall flee at the threat of one man you shall flee at the threat of five until you're left as a flag on a mountaintop and as a signal on a hill therefore the Lord longs to be gracious to you and therefore he waits on high to have compassion on you for the Lord is a God of justice how blessed are all those who long for him he wants us to come to him and yet we continually turn away from him or we flee thinking that this thing or that thing will save us and he's saying in returning to me you will be saved and just the the picture of God sitting on the throne waiting for his children to come to him makes me want to go to him, makes me want to long for his truth, his words in my heart and in my mind, rather than the way my flesh would tell me to think and feel.
1: Well, your little children return to you when they've been hurt, don't they? Right, they, they come and back over and over. that is place where they find rest. Mm-hmm. In, re- re- in returning and rest, you shall be saved. So mm-hmm. rather than Sitting yourself down in a distant corner mm-hmm. and hoping that somebody's going to come along and feel mm-hmm. sorry for you, mm-hmm. uh, the thing to do is to go immediately to the one who can, uh, the one who alone can give you rest.
2: Mm-hmm. Gerhard Terstegen said this. Now, O oh my God, my comfort, portion, rest, thou none but thou shalt reign within my breast. Call me to thee. Call me thyself, O speak, and bind my heart to thee, whom most I seek. We continually forget that it's really God we need, and it's not someone else's listening to us. I, I know at different times I have tried not to bring up the little trials that happen during the day when my husband comes home, because I know it's his pity that I'm looking for and I know the Lord knows all that went on, and I can go to him. Now, there's nothing wrong with my telling what happened to Walt if um, he has asked, if he's interested, you know, and uh, just to be able to communicate what's happening in each of our lives is good and right for a husband and wife, but to bring it up because I want him to feel sorry for me is not the right spirit. The Lord wants to show mercy to us and yet we will not go to him. And I think I think our tendency is we talk too much, we try to tell at least three other people during a week or during a day that we are not all that we want to be or that things have been done to us that weren't fair. I had a friend for for a couple of years who's moved away but She was always saying, "When things were going wrong, it's just not fair. It's not fair." And (laughs) with God, you know, His ways are just and perfect. His ways are perfect always. There's always
1: that. There's always that temptation to uh, feel that we we have a certain distinction if times have been really tough. You know, you want to hear mm-hmm. about my day? Well, it's a whole mm-hmm. lot worse than it's yours. worse and than yours. So let's all have a pity party. And
2: we try to top each other with how awful mm-hmm. and <laughs> something was do your children do
1: that, Mel? Well?
2: I think because of certain personalities, there are a couple of my children who want to have pity parties. And we're learning, all of us together, to laugh about it. And, you know, when when one is bringing up something that Especially if it's in front of the whole family, um, then somebody else will laughingly say, "Let's have a pity party." But then, when they come to me individually and say, "It's not fair," you know, such and such has happened, um, I'm learning to say, "Life is not fair." In general, we don't get what we want all the time, and God knows that. And God knows what's best for for us to grow. Fairness is a tricky issue with your children because you want to love them all equally, but you cannot give every one of them every, the same privilege. You can't do that. And you have to help them understand that for different gifts and different personalities, God gives different blessings. And so if one gets to go somewhere and the other one doesn't, that is not something I used to try to equal every, everybody, so if so-and-so is going here, then you must take your younger sister because it's not fair to her for her not to go. But I'm learning to, to teach them that uh, on a different day, they'll get a different kind of blessing, and not to feel sorry for themselves, but to accept gladly whatever is
1: put in front of them. And who is it that de- defines this fairness that children are always hollering about? It's their uh, own selfishness, their own self-centeredness. There certainly ought to be some distinctions made between the age groups. We would, I can just hear us saying so often to our parents, well, how come he? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, the answer is very simple. Well, because he's older than you are. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or he does not have to do this because he's younger than you are.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And to help them to get the perspective that the day will come
2: when the Lord will bless them in a way that their older brother or sister has not been blessed and... The Lord gives what is, he meets out for us exactly what we need. And, and to me, that's a wonderful principle to live by, just to continually thank him for what he's given me. And it's my portion for the day. I know you've talked a lot about what your portion is. I think of manna in the wilderness. The Lord gave exactly what they needed for that day. If they took too much for themselves, then it was, it molded and uh, got worms in it. If they took too little, they didn't, they didn't have enough. And the Lord knows what trials, what circumstances, what food, physically and spiritually, we need. So.
1: It's a divine assignment, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It says in Psalm mm-hmm. sixteen five, Lord, you have assigned me my portion and my cup
2: mm-hmm.
1: and have made my lot secure. Whatever my lot, you have taught me to say it is well. If we really believe
2: that God is our Heavenly Father, giving out exactly what we need each day, it's, it's our position with Him that gives me peace and security and rest. I think of how a day may go where I'm exhausted and discouraged because nothing seemed to go right. It's to know that I'm His completely and that He allowed things not to go right so that I would go to Him, run to Him, rest in Him gives me peace, I think where we mothers often get into trouble, and maybe many different Christians in different situations get into trouble, is when the rules of their lives become a bondage to them, and if their rules are not followed, their list of things that they think would make a perfect life, if their rules are not followed, then their security is gone if our security is in simply the position that we have before the father that we're not orphans we don't have to make it on our own then we will be happy and peaceful no matter what happens to us so it has to come from that relationship to him through jesus christ and i was mentioning how this rule after breakfast is that the children are to come to me after they have brushed their teeth and offer to help and whatever things need to be done before we have our bible reading if that's my bondage then of course I'm going to get upset when they're not followed but if my if the rules are a track to learn love and servanthood and to learn to go to the Father and to trust in the Father for his help and strength then my day goes more peacefully because I know that it's his hand upon us helping us to do what's right and good but rules, if broken, can be the very arena for showing us God's forgiveness. I want to be everything to my children. I want to be their security. I want to fix everything, and I can't, but I need to trust that that I'm leading them and pointing them to the Father in heaven who, who does fix everything, who gives us complete peace.
1: He says, I know the thoughts that I think toward you, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end.
0: Part seven in the child training series, Feeling Sorry for Yourself. Coming up later, Amy Van Dyke, lead curator for the Museum of the Bible, talks about the Elizabeth Elliott exhibit at the museum in Washington, D.C. Right now, Jim Howard, younger brother of Elizabeth, talks about what comes to mind when he uh, thinks about Elizabeth.
3: She was my tall, big sister, who loved me and took care of me when necessary. And she had a very great laugh, good sense of humor, and so in our home
0: there was a lot of laughter.
3: Our home was a happy home. I am the youngest of six siblings. We grew up knowing, loving parents who set godly examples for us in the home of what it means to live a Christian life, and walk with the Lord.
0: Jim Howard. Later on, we'll hear from curator Amy Van Dyke of the Museum of the Bible, as she talks about a tribal way of paraphrasing the gospel. That coming up later. Right now, it's part eight of child training, as we hear about Peter's reaction to bad news. And here's a question for you. Can we give too much pity to our kids? Here's Valerie Elliott Shepard and Elizabeth, training emotional restraint.
1: You are loved with an everlasting love. That's what the Bible says. And underneath are the everlasting arms. This is your friend, Elizabeth Elliott, continuing my talks today with my daughter, Valerie Shepard. We've been talking about that awful thing called self-pity. When Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem, He told the disciples that he was going to suffer many things up there and he was going to be killed. And of course, Peter's immediate reaction to that was probably what yours and mine would have been, oh Lord, no, we can't let that happen to you. And Jesus gave a very tough retort to his beloved disciple. He turned to him and he said, get behind me, Satan, you think as men think, not Mm. as God thinks. Mm -hmm. And I think what was really behind Peter's remark was an insistence that Jesus really ought to pity himself. He ought not to let himself get into that danger. But of course Jesus was pursuing, like a thunderbolt, the pathway of obedience to his father and there was no room whatsoever for self-pity, although there was going to be a great deal of room for suffering. Tell us what you have to say on the subject of self-pity, Val.
2: Well, I think you can start out when children are very young to teach them that any little hurt, any little bump, does not need to be made a big deal of. I think we parents often give too much pity and too much sympathy, not that we shouldn't give some sympathy, but to make a big deal of it, to ask, did you hurt yourself, encourages the child to be full of self-pity. I think of how Theo comes in, sometimes he's four years old, he'll come in from playing outside, he's skinned his knee, he's crying his head off, and I'll say, Theo, this is another one of those times when the Lord wants you to learn from this to be stronger and braver. And every time you fall down, he is allowing it so that you can learn to be braver, so that you can be a strong little boy. And that helps him. He he usually quiets down somewhat. um, But to encourage this dwelling on how awful it is doesn't help the child to grow up to be a servant of the Lord. We Servants of the Lord are not to spend time worrying and thinking about themselves i know for many years i was so worried that i wasn't grow i analyzed my own growth so much that i was forgetting the purpose of growing in christ and the purpose is to glorify christ i wanted to bring glory to myself
1: i think the mother has a very uh, (laughs) very difficult task sometimes in not pitying the child, because of course a mother's heart right. immediately wants to pity. And I remember when we first went in to live with the Alka Indians, Val, and you were being carried on that first trip in a little wooden chair that an Indian named Fermin had built. And he was walking in front of me and I was walking behind, but you were facing backwards, so you were looking at me. And Fermin said to me, you need to walk in front of me. And I said, why? Well, he said, because your baby will cry if she sees you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I thought, I guess he's right. Mm -hmm. Because you're much more likely to cry at your mother, to Mm -hmm. your mother, than you are if it's somebody else. And Mm -hmm. I heard a story about a man who saw a little boy sitting on a curbstone with blood running down his leg from a skinned knee mm-hmm. and the man came up to him and said doesn't it hurt and the little boy said yes he said why aren't you crying The little boy said i don't have anybody to cry to <laughs> i think we can
2: teach them very young that they take their troubles to the lord but they don't need to spread them out to let everybody know what their troubles are and. I think it's okay to say to a child, are you okay? You're going to make it. Then I, then I keep on saying, you're going to be all right. And uh, I want so much for my children to look beyond the present, to believe that God is in control. And, that, and he will teach us to be mature, accepting what he's doling out to us. In acceptance lieth peace, Amy Carmichael said. And it's not in saying, why did this happen to me, that we're going to find answers. But in accepting God's hand upon our lives, we find security and peace.
1: What has happened to bravery, just plain Mm old-fashioned courage and bravery? We're being told these days that It's not a good thing to teach little boys that they ought to be brave. That's the way little boys always used to be taught. You're not supposed to cry. You must be brave. There's a place for tears, but you and I are talking about training children for heaven and trying to get them away from preoccupation with with themselves. themselves. And especially when there are other children around, they are tempted, I think, to make more of a fuss, because it gives them a certain kind of distinction Mm -hmm. to suffer, and they have to make a bigger deal out of it than is really necessary at all. Mm -hmm. But I know you, Val, as a very compassionate mother, if we have some mothers listening to us who are saying, that's awfully tough, those things that they're saying. It sounds as if they have no heart at all. And of course, that Elizabeth Elliot, she must have a concrete streak right down her back. I know you're not going to be accused of that, Val. You have a gentle and very (laughs) quiet way with your children, at least as far as I can tell.
2: Well, we do have to have their souls as our priority in training, not not their emotions. I mean, yes, we are to teach them to have self-control, but the goal in mind is to bring glory to God we are put on this earth to obey God and to enjoy Him forever. And obedience means saying no to ourselves. And so I'm, I'm thinking that if we are an example to our children of not spending time on ourselves, not pitying ourselves, they will grow up to learn to put Christ first put others first and not to feel sorry for themselves. I have a few verses in John 10 that I'd like to read. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hireling and not a shepherd, who is not the owner of the sheep, beholds the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hireling and is not concerned about the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me. Even as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep, and I have other sheep which are not of this fold, I must bring them also, and they shall hear my voice, and they shall become one flock with one shepherd." For this reason the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it again. No one has taken it away from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This commandment I received from my Father. If we can teach our children that because Jesus laid his life down for us, then we are to follow in his footsteps and lay down our lives for one another. Spending time on ourselves leaves no time for others. I think of just last weekend, my daughter Colleen wanted to have a friend to spend the night because I forgot to call the mother the night before. It didn't work out and she was so upset with me that I had not done all that I should have done to get the girl over to our house. I did talk to the mother right before supper on Friday afternoon, but at that point it was too late, and, and the mother said, yeah, if I'd known last night, I would have been able to bring her. But Colleen wanted to spend time on feeling awful and thinking that this happens to her all the time and thinking that it's not fair. And I had to say to her, Colleen, you have to get over this. There will be another time when you can have a friend over, and you look forward to that time. But you cannot stay mad or stay upset or look pouting for the next hour because you didn't get what you wanted tonight. And, again, motherhood is line upon line. We have to repeat things over and over again. And its I think it's almost easier with little ones because their little troubles are so short. <laughs> It seems as they get older, they think more and more about their troubles. And uh, I haven't exactly figured out how to get a child that's older over her problem except to give her something to do for someone else or to help her to serve in some way in the house. And that does help, of course. That, that gets them to putting their mind on something rather than on themselves.
1: These are early lessons which would help to lay the foundation for our understanding Isaiah 58:10, which is to me the most marvelous antidote for self-pity. If you pour yourself out for the hungry then the Lord will satisfy your needs and will make you like a watered garden but it takes pouring oneself out instead of f- sitting around feeling as though I have been badly treated Did I deserve this? What did I do to deserve this? Uh, It was not fair, Mm -hmm. et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Self-pity is really satanic. I am convinced of that. It's a dead-end street. Very glad that you're working on your children. I had a letter from a little girl who said a very lovely thing to me. She said, you make me brave. Mm. Well, I don't know Mm -hmm. how in the world I made her brave, but I thought it's wonderful that a child wants to be brave, and they need all the help they can get, Mm -hmm. especially when they feel as though they've been badly hurt. Thank you for being with me again today, Val. You're welcome.
0: Part 8 in the Child Training Series, Training Emotional Restraint. We'll wrap up this series next time. But before we go today, we have some thoughts from Amy Van Dyke, lead curator of the Museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C., The museum currently has an exhibit about Elizabeth, and included in that is a tribal way of paraphrasing the gospel, and life as a scrapbook.
3: One of the things that we decided to do in the design of the exhibit was to highlight her life as a scrapbook of sorts. So there's pictures everywhere and letters of hers, and her actual scrapbooks are on display one real one on display that shows some of her early photos with jim their the day they got married early photos of their daughter and then we have a number of other scrapbooks that were digitally scanned and put on a device there in the gallery that you can flip through and look at and there's so many wonderful bits about her family in there and you can see how organized she was by having these scrapbooks there too she labeled everything And we've had a number of her family members come through and look through those scrapbooks and see photos of their family that they've never seen before. So that's a wonderful human personal element of hers that's there. But I'd say one of my favorite things that I found when looking through that, it was a written document, a transcription of the life of Jesus as told by Dayume. It was written down by Elizabeth. So Dayume was their translator when they lived there with the tribe in, in Ecuador, when uh, Rachel and Elizabeth lived there. And Dayume was often their, their teacher. So she would say in the language, she would tell stories from the Bible, and one of them was the gospel story of Jesus. It's a fascinating contextual paraphrase of the gospel. And I love reading things like this, and they come from different mission groups around the world. Because you might encounter a people group that doesn't understand certain churchy words that we might use or certain biblical concepts that just don't work the same way in a culture that hasn't grown up in that, you know. So something like sanctification, what does that mean, right? So Mm -hmm. you get context with these stories. And in this written document, you can see how Diana has contextualized the concepts of the gospel and salvation and what Jesus did for the people, how he was connected to God, how Jesus is God's son in a way that they would understand. And I just found that completely fascinating. And we have that on display and we also have it online posted. So you can actually read through that. And we're going to be posting more of those things as we get to them, as we get them photographed and and documented. But that was one of my favorite things to encounter
0: Lead curator of the Museum of the Bible, that was Amy Van Dyke. Well, our time here together is coming to an end. Thanks, though, for letting us come into your home, your office, along with you as you took a walk, wherever we found you today. On behalf of the Elizabeth Elliot Foundation, in cooperation with the Bible Broadcasting Network, let me invite you to check out all the resources at elizabethelliot.org. Elizabeth Elliot. Well, until next time, may God remind you every day that you're loved with an everlasting love and underneath are the everlasting arms.